Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Coming strong with another edition of Long One Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howell. Let's not waste any time. Get right into it. A few housekeeping items. First of all, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thank you so much for continuing to support Longhorn Blitz. Multiple ways you can get this podcast, but the best way, the way that we prefer you to get it, is anywhere you get your podcast. Search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button whenever the podcast feed pops up, and you will get every episode of Longhorn Blitz when it drops. First thing on wednesday morning and if you'd be so kind please leave us a five-star review we would greatly appreciate it now let me bring in the rest of the team he is the master of the soundboard the drop machine extraordinaire our lead research analyst on longhorn blitz and a daily fantasy guru he is matt butler how are you sir doing pretty well man how about you man i can't complain and the third member of our team i don't think i've ever heard him complain about anything he wears many hats he's busier than a one-armed paper hanger but for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with the football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree whenever that T-ring comes back in. We will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card caring member of dbu and when you get that all-american honor recognized by the ncaa they make sure you get one of those black cards number 21 in your program number one in your hearts mr rod babers rod how are you sir i'm doing great thanks for the intro brother i appreciate it each and every time i do my best rod i know something else you appreciate is the nfl draft you were Lucky enough, Rod, yourself to be uh, a fourth-round selection, number 123 overall back in the 2003 NFL draft. Rod, I got to stop saying the year you were drafted because I'm, uh, I'm I'm dating you, man. I'm dating you from way back when. Trust me, I know. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I feel it. Trust me, I feel it every day, too. <laughs> what what is it is it the how are your shoulders doing, by the way? Because I know you had a couple different shoulder procedures. The shoulder, shoulder holding up pretty well? Yeah, but I mean, there uh, it won't it won't age well. None of it will, man. That's that's just the reality of it. Those types of injuries, because I've already, I mean, I had my shoulder worked on both shoulders actually. Yeah. I had injuries and three different shoulder surgeries, so I can't throw a football like overhand. Like I got you know every now and then, like it'll I can kind of feel it either slipping out or you know what I mean like I can lift a certain way and I can it just yeah it's just it's one of those things that you really, you never really recover from stuff like that. I'm not kidding you, Rod. I threw a, uh, I think it was a an apple that I had to throw out a couple weeks ago, and I made the mistake of throwing it overhand, and man, my shoulder hurt for like two or three days. 
It Bro, just trust. I it feel that <laughs> it can't go. It can't go over. Like my daughter, my daughter's playing t-ball now. She decided she wanted to play t-ball, so I'm like, hey, underhand grounders. I can do that all. We can do underhand grounders all day. I can man, throw those I'm all throwing, day. Throwing Rich Gannon style, man. A little sidearm on. Them. <laughs> uh, you know, we're not talking about throwing sidearm though when we talk about the NFL draft because Texas doesn't have any quarterbacks in the draft this year. Probably next year with Quinn Ewers, we'll see how the 24 season plays out, but. You know, guys, it's exciting, man. We we didn't do a ton of draft talk. It was two years ago because it was basically like, look, man, if Cameron Dicker doesn't hear his name called, there probably ain't going to be a Texas guy drafted. I feel like we've been pretty realistic with the draft. But, man, uh, Texas could actually set the record, uh, the seven-round record for most draft picks and get close to uh, – no, they're not going to beat that uh, that record that the, uh, the 84 draft set where they had 13 guys drafted. But – uh, it's going to be right. It's going to be a very prosperous draft. It's nice to get back to draft weekend where if you're a Texas fan, man, you can, and I say this because combine invites went out, we've got the combine coming up, the pre-draft process, senior bowl, all that stuff's already done. It's, it's nice when you're a Texas fan and you can lock into the draft and, and be invested in it from start to finish. Yeah. And I, I agree with you actually, because I, I mean, not everyone is, you know, both a college football fan and an NFL fan. I am, but I, I realize everyone, there's some people that just college football fans and some people that just watch the NFL. Um, I'm both. So I love this transition period, man. It's one of my favorite mm-hmm. periods uh, uh, because it's almost a season in itself. The scouting season with, you know, you got the bowl, call it the silly season, but you got, you know I mean? You got the bowl uh, games and everything to kind of evaluate the postseason of college football. Uh, then the guys go to the, you know, the Reese's Senior Bowl and the Shrine Bowl. So you have those. And then you get to uh, the combine time and the pro days and then the NFL draft. I love following the entire process. And a lot of it is ridiculous. That's why they call it the silly season. Uh, but for me, a guy like me who loves, you know, the transition from college to the NFL. Um, and it just kind of helps me with my analysis of the NFL, too. I think it's uh, it's one of my favorite times of the year, and I'm glad the Longhorns now are heavily represented because I can just kind of take my knowledge that I have of these guys, and it really makes draft day fun, makes the combine fun because there is so much Longhorn representation. So I, uh, it's good for the brand, of course, because that's how you sell the brand. Every player that's ever been recruited to play college football wants to play in the NFL. Hundred percent of them. There ain't one that ever played college football. It's like, nah, I don't really want to play in the league. No, they all want to play in the league. Uh, that's the goal. That's the dream. And I'm glad now that Texas can sell. Not only are they competing for championships, but you know they can help you accomplish your ultimate goal and your dream. And Sark knows. That's why Sark has the NFL ties with a lot of guys now. You know, I mean, he's that's big on the resume of some of the coaches. Uh, whether that be a player or as a as a coach, I think he wants to be able to talk to these young players he's recruiting or even the ones in the transfer portal and be able to say, hey, man, we know how it looks. We know the steps that need to be taken. We all coached in the league. We can help you get there. And now you're going to be able to see that in real time. Yeah, because now you're at the point where it isn't even necessarily selling the program, which Sark has done a really good job to get all these guys in here. But then you've seen the development and now to actually get the tangible results and be able to put on paper and show how many players Texas may get into the draft. And, you know, this one, if you look at just the top seven rounds, because like this draft nowadays, we only have seven back in 84. I believe it was 12 
and seven players from Texas in 84 were drafted from eight through 12. So if you look at just the top seven rounds, this could be one of the best drafts Texas football has ever had. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the context to keep this year in because the elite talent Texas has. I mean, we talked about it over the last couple of weeks and, you know, there's varying mock drafts across the board, but you got a good handful of guys that have a chance to be a first round pick. Like I think Byron Murphy for sure is locked that up. And then, I mean, one of the receivers probably is going to creep into that background. And then you could see sweat creep into some part of that first round probably. And even if there's a run on tight ends, I know I was listening to Rod show this morning and he mentioned JT Sanders. And sometimes it becomes just a supply demands type scenario. And especially the way that when you look at, you know, what wins in the NFL and that value, you can get receivers really deep. But when you look at like who's won the Super Bowl over like the past 15 years, really, since like the Gronk era began, man, there's always an elite tight end on top the NFL. When you look at the top yeah. Super Bowl winning teams, there isn't necessarily that top end receiver. So there could be some smart teams that understand the premium positions and how it's sort of morphed in recent years. And that could really add to JT's value. Yeah, you think about it. We talked about that on a podcast last year at some point, and I remember just thinking, you know, obviously we've got this run of NFL tight ends, whether you're talking about Travis Kelsey or Gronk and uh, go down the list. But, man, even, you know, when, when uh, Matt, when we were watching ball and Rod back in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, you think about some of those Super Bowl champions like Mark Bavaro, what he meant to the Giants, or Jay Novacek with the Cowboys, Brent Jones with the 49ers, Mark Chimura with the Packers. You know, we talk about the running game of Mike Shanahan. Uh, they also had uh, uh, one of my all-time favorite quarterbacks and John Elway. As a matter of fact, on my personal list, he's the only guy that I rank. Uh, I rank Tom Brady above uh, everybody else, and then John Elway is number two for me. But, man, you had a Hall of Fame tight end on those Broncos teams with Shannon Sharp. So there is value in having a really good tight end. But, I mean, for both of you, whichever one of you guys wants to take it, Matt, you mentioned uh, the seven-round format. The seven-round format for the draft started in '94. And in the seven-round format, the record for Texas for draft picks, picks in a single draft, it's only seven. And it was in 2007. That was the last time Texas had multiple first-round picks. Michael Griffin and Aaron Ross actually went back-to-back -back in the first round in that draft. But only seven. I, I could have sworn there was a draft where there was more, but I don't know, man. I, it, it just shows you that. You know, Rod, you played for Mac Brown, and there were some great times. Mac won a national championship, could have won a couple others. But it just shows you, man, even in a prosperous time like that, one of the true golden eras of the program, man, there was still some meat left on the bone. And if you're Sark, I'm glad he mentioned it in his last press conference where he talked about that obsession. It's we've seen it, we've seen it be done at Texas, but there's still another level that you can get to in Maybe this draft is another tangible sign that man, maybe maybe Sark can get you there. Maybe there is another level where this program can go beyond where Matt got it. Uh, there is, um, uh, but I will say, you know, Sark has the luxury of being in the NIL era. Very true. Texas is arguably, you know, in terms of obviously the, the value of the brand uh, when Texas has more sugar daddies than almost any other university out there in Texas can be a leader in the NIL space, which is, is you know, inextricably linked uh, to 
the transfer portal, which helps you attract talent. And one of your guys, A.D. Mitchell, is going to be a first-round pick. Transfer, you know, that stuff at Mac didn't have access to. And honestly, I don't even know if Mac would have weaponized it in the manner that Sark has. I'm not saying that at all. Um, so I'm giving Sark credit for, you know, being in the new age of college football and being modern, being progressive, taking advantage of those opportunities. Uh, but that is also adding to it too. Um, so I, I think if Mac had that, that would be a different discussion, but I think you're right. There is another level. Um, and I think Sark can reach it because of the things that I just mentioned, NIL transfer portal, all of those things are benefiting Texas in this new age. And I think ultimately, when we talk about the separation of the have and the have nots, which is growing, it is becoming more and more, uh, you know, distinct. The, the separation. Yeah. I think ultimately, you know, Texas will continue this trend. I mean, there's nothing right now that, in my opinion, is pointing to this stopping. I think Texas is kind of just starting in this NIL era, being the law of the land. I think Texas at this point, along with probably ten. 12 maybe other universities are going to dominate this era of college football because they have the resources and the advantage of a a very affluent donor base. Mm. Do you have anything you have anything to add on that Matt? No, just was adding up different drafts across the board and yeah, that that 84 draft really did have a lot of players drafted pretty high because you had Masi go in the first, and then you had two seconds, two thirds, a fourth, three in the fifth, and then one in the seventh. So that's still right there, I believe. Ten got ten teams. So uh, that yeah. ten in the top seven, that sort of looks to be that benchmark if you look across yeah. program history because every other year, yeah. yeah, there really wasn't anything else other than that. Oh, seven year that you brought up. And I mean, that's a great one because you had two first rounders, two second rounders in in all of which were uh, friends of the show. Also, it looks like. And other than that, across the board, those would be your two deepest drafts that Texas has ever had. Well, I tell you what, man, you you talk about just looking at some of these drafts and these are names that some Texas fans probably haven't thought about in a minute. And there's going to be a portion of our like, you know, uh, Jordan Scruggs on our staff. Jordan's on our recruiting team. He and Hank South. I've got to reference names, Roger. I think Jordan was born in 2004, 2003. So I'm like, man, I when I talk about like, you know, guys from the late 90s, like Jordan has no reference of any of these guys. It's like me looking at the guys I'm fixing to mention. But like you look at the 80 draft, they had three first rounders, Lamb Jones, Johnny Johnson, Derek Hatchett, Steve McMichael going in the third round. Ricky Churchman went in the fourth round. That is five guys going in the top 100. And, and that's like the height of you know, Fred Akers was really had things rolling at that point. You go to 82, top 100 picks, Kenneth Sims, Bruce Schultz, Terry Tosh, Lawrence Sampleton. That's four and four in the top 50. So, yeah, you're getting we've seen it when, when Texas has it rolling, that's the kind of draft production that you're having. But I think for the amount of, and I mentioned the top 50 stuff because, or even the top 100 picks, because Rod, we talked about it. I think it used to be, you know, uh, are you a day two pick? Cause our day one pick, because back in, you know, when you were going through the draft, the draft was rounds one through three were on Saturday and the rest of the draft was on Sunday. It was only over two days. Uh, now, you know, you've got it. One's on, Thursday and then the two on Friday and then the rest of it on Saturday. I just kind of look at it like if you're a top 100 pick, that means you're you're going at least in the third round. I think that's uh is that what we've said on kind of being like a premium round draft selection if you're going in the top, first 100 picks? Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Yeah, that's usually 
kind of uh, that would be the cutoff for me. I mean, if you're at top fifty, then you're you're right. Then you're going to toward the elite level. If you're first round guy, man. You're that's that's rarefied status. Yeah, because like because the two guys I think about why why I put the top fifty in there, why it's important to me. There's two guys, Aaron Williams and Justin Blaylock. Like both those guys were first round talents. It's just the way it's not their fault. The way things fell in the draft. I think Aaron Williams went thirty four. I think Justin Blaylock was thirty seven. So like it, there, you're basically a first round caliber player at that point it's just maybe there was a a run on a position that knocked you down the board or whatever the case was uh but we mentioned those type picks and you know i i when i wrote the story i wrote my first draft story daniel jeremiah had just put out his top 50 and you you know there's so many draft publications now so many people do so much good work uh as a matter of fact right now as we do this matt miller's having a conference call i remember when I think Matt was working at Bleacher Report, and we would kind of text back and forth or DM back and forth about, you know, and one of these days Texas will have, you know, a really good draft. And lo and behold, it's the best draft Texas has had in 14, 15 years, and Matt's one of the big wigs doing it at ESPN now. So props to him. He's actually having a conference call right now uh, for everybody around the country, media members around the country calling him to get his thoughts on the draft. But he had uh, Daniel Jeremiah, I, I say that, you know, whoever you follow on the draft is who you follow, but Daniel Jeremiah of the NFL Network put out his top 50. Five Longhorns in that top 50, Byron Murphy, A.D. Mitchell, Jatavian Sanders, Xavier Worthy, Tavondre Sweat. Um, Rod, does that sound right to you? I mean, we're talking about those five guys pretty much as being, whether you want to call them first-round talents or not, they're at their respective positions. They're kind of in that group that, Man, if you think you're going to hang around, maybe get those guys in the the third round, you're you're probably going to be SOL on that front. Uh, yeah, no, I think I think that's pretty accurate because I think all most of the guys' draft stock is about to increase. Um, I look at AD Mitchell. From what I hear, AD Mitchell is is capable of running a, a four four, a high four four. If he does, he's going he's going to get drafted in the first round. Yeah. Um, with the film that's showing his body control, his size, um, his ability to uh, accelerate, decelerate, catch radius, precision route running. Um, I mean, he's got the lowest drop rate of any of the top tier wide receivers in the draft, too. The yeah. only thing that they're that that they're missing in their evaluation as a data point to confirm first round status would be his flat out straightaway speed. Mm -hmm. And from what I hear, he actually does have it. Um, it just, you know, may not have been on display all the time, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, being able to see it on the film, but it does translate. So for him, I think his draft stock is going to increase when he runs. Uh, Byron Murphy, you know, he's already guaranteed to be a first-round pick. Everything that I've seen, he is the first Longhorn drafted off the board. A.D. Mitchell is the one that's going to sneak into the first round. Um, but go look at Jim, Jim, uh, Jim Nagy. He's the... Uh, but senior bowl executive. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So he's over the senior bowl. He had a go look at his Twitter. Even today, he's got a, a thread about Tavondre sweat and I'll mm -hmm. just I'll make sure I can find it. So I don't want to misquote him here. Um, this is what he said about Tavondre sweat. Um, he says basically that uh, Tavondre sweat should not drop out of the first round. 
That's he says quick senior bowl and he has an emoji there. So I'm not even gonna try to interpret that to show why Texas knows tackles of Andre Sweat shouldn't get out of the first round. And he has a thread showing why he shouldn't get out of the first round. I'm not saying he's going to be a first round pick, but if you look at the trend of the NFL, I could see a team deciding he's exactly what we need at the back of the first round or a team trading up to go get him. Um, because the trends of the NFL are now they're playing close to 45%, you know, two high pre-snap zone coverages. And what that means essentially is that you're playing with lighter boxes. If you're playing with lighter boxes, you need bigger human beings with girth, with mass up front to either demand a double team, which flips the numbers advantage back in your favor, even though you're playing with a lighter box, fewer defenders than blockers and big time D tackles like potentially what Devondre Sweat could be. Mm-hmm. Or in the NFL, you're going to look at the top 16 highest paid defenders in the NFL this past season and eight of them are interior defensive linemen and that's not even a premium position right and you go look at half of the uh the top defenders and in, in guaranteed salary guaranteed salary from last season six of the top 12 interior defensive linemen yet not a premium position because it hasn't caught up with where the nfl is going there won't these big bodies who are premium force run defenders on early downs and who can be pass rushing specialists on passing downs. And Tavondre Sweat's got that kind of ceiling. Now, will he end up becoming that? I don't know, but he was just that at the college level. And if he becomes that at the NFL level, that's Chris Jones is about to break the bank right now because yeah. he is him and Aaron, Aaron Donald's the best, but he's second best behind Aaron Donald at that interior defensive line position. And with what you want are big bodies like Tavondre Sweat, who can, who are so damn massive, they essentially they can take up more than one gap with just the sheer size and mass of their body. Or guys like Byron Murphy, who demand a double team because they're so damn quick and they're so damn disruptive and they're so impactful at the point of attack. And they can be forced run defenders early and then switch up and become pass rushing specialists on third down. Both of those guys have that ability. And that's the kind of the, the, the point that Jim Nagy's making that, hey, man, this guy, if a team really dives into him and they really believe that he's kind of their missing piece to their defense being great, it'll drive up his draft value because that's kind of where the NFL is going. They're playing with lighter boxes. They want to devote numbers to stop the pass, matchups up front to stop the run. Those are guys that are matchup advantageous <laughs> type players like Tavondre Sweat and like Brian Murphy. Just throwing it out there, he could sneak in there too. And I agree that I've seen some mocks with JT Sanders sneaking in the first round. That'll all be based on where Brock Bowers is drafted. If Brock Bowers goes early on top five to the Chargers or something like that, then his stock will increase because teams will go, damn it, best tight ends off the board. If we want a tight end, like you're a Miami or something like that, you think he's the missing piece, you may get a little bit desperate and draft him early in the first round. So I think it's possible they could have four first-rounders. I think it's probably the odds are they'll have two, and mm-hmm. Texas will dominate the second round of the draft with potentially you know, JT Sanders, Tavondre Sweat, uh, hell, Jonathan Brooks is still the top running back on the board right now. 
So Worthy. that guy's value. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, exactly. They right now they look like the second round is probably where Texas is gonna have a, no, Xavier Worthy. Yeah, they're gonna have the most guys drafted, or at least not most, but most of their guys drafted mm-hmm. in the second round. Yeah. Yep, and that's where you pointed it out with Sweat. And, I mean, the numbers, they're going to show everything. Because you look on paper and just, you know, everything that we saw from the Senior Bowl, the film, like it speaks volumes. He's a huge human. The coaches love him. He dominated workouts. But then if you look at the analytics and just stat nerds are going to be all over Tavondre Sweat because he finished as, like, the best run defensive interior lineman in the country. He ended up with a 12.8% run stop percentage, which is elite at 24 of them only missed tackles on 4.4%. Like you're talking some of the guys that I see listed inside the top 20 have the double digit, you know, missed tackle percentage. Tavondre Sweat doesn't miss tackles and he's able to get the run stops in the backfield to force those negative plays. He ended up with way more tackles than basically anybody in the top 10. But when you flip it over, to the pass sets. Now, Byron Murphy, he's the best in the country. If you go by grading, if you go by pressures, the total amount of times that he was able, his win rate was a 19.6, according to PFF, which is the best in the country. But you know who's number six in the country of all defensive interior linemen? Tavondre Sweat. He had a 15.3% win percentage. His pass rush grade on true pass sets was 88.7, which is also sixth in the country. And this is counting all small sample sizes, too. It doesn't matter if you went and had one snap or you had hundreds of snaps. He's that elite. He's up in the very top. You had Mason Graham from Michigan ranks two behind Murphy. And then you have a guy from Coastal Carolina, Michael Mason. Then there's Norell Pollard from Virginia Tech and Peebles from Duke. And then you get Sweat and then Hall Jr. from Ohio State. You know, what's really interesting for next season, though, ranked just at number 11 in overall true pass set. Uh, grade and then also really high up there in win percentage Alfred Collins is the 11th best in the country so even though it was in 218 pass threat sets when Tavondre Sweat had 310 and Murphy had 274 that's still a lot of snaps where you saw Collins get out there he was in the top I'd say third in the country in the amount of snaps he saw and he graded out 11th which is just elite to have coming back but to get back to sweat when you're the best against the run in the country consensus you're a top six guy against the pass and we're talking about uh being compared against you know guys at the bottom of d1 also and you consider the opponents texas faced against that's about as good of a resume as you can get when you're 365 and you're getting to the quarterback that's going to soar somebody's going to take that risk and move up and get a guy like him because like you said rod i'd say it almost isn't a premium position these days because I know us on this podcast a year or two ago in the offseason pointed out the trend that for multiple years now we've seen the interior linemen getting paid as much or even more. Last year was when they passed up the outside linemen edge rushers where you have the interior DL being as much or more of a premium than it's ever been before. So it's a great time for Texas to have two of those guys coming out. Uh, Rod, for for Sweat, am I crazy when I think that the combine, the most important thing for him is just going to be where he weighs? And I know he didn't weigh in at the Senior Bowl, and I think the reason why is he was on that banquet circuit. Like, he had to go to the Outland Trophy ceremony. And, look, if you go to the Outland Trophy ceremony, it's in Omaha. 
they ain't exactly worried about you eating healthy in Omaha. Trust me, I've been there. It's where I learned the concept of the Italian steakhouse where they give you steak with a side of spaghetti. So it's not like uh, a lot, a lot of carbs going around in uh, in Omaha. Right. But uh, so maybe that he maybe he just felt a little heavy and didn't want to weigh in. I'm sure his agent told him that. But is that is that going to be the most important thing he does in Indy? Is just what he weighs, what he look, what he where he tips the scales. Uh, yeah, cause he's already proven. I mean, I, I understand, I understand exactly why he didn't weigh in at the senior bowl. I mean, you got to play, right? Yeah. You're playing, yeah, weight playing, and, weight. playing weight and performance weight are two different weights for most, most athletes, right? The, the, the weight you actually play at and the weight that you want to test at are different. So he's going to go in with the testing mindset. So I wouldn't doubt that he's 355 or below that. I mean, some of these coaches probably even want to see him below 350. They don't want to see him at 365, which is probably closer to his playing weight. He's got time to to lose 10, 12 pounds, slim down for the drills, uh, you mm-hmm. know, keep his strength for the bench press, but slim down for the drills, look good and agile for a big man, show off some of that, and uh kind of and 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 you know, obviously weigh in lighter. But they they know these guys know that his playing weight is he's probably clo- closer and comfortable with to being closer to 360. And when he gets drafted, they'll put in his contract a certain weight, and he's got to stay within I don't know five pounds of that weight, or yeah. he'll get fined. And that's the question, right? Can he can he the, is he conditioned enough, well conditioned enough at that size to be an every down player? And that ultimately goes back to the weight. And is he gonna balloon up when he gets in NFL? If he's drafted by you know, the New Orleans Saints or the Houston Texans or to, you know, places with really good food, is he gonna just eat himself out of you know the position, eat himself out of being an every down player? I don't think that's the case. But with really big guys, that is always a huge concern. Can they play at a weight? Can they play every down at that weight, whatever it may be? And I think he can. I really do. I think he's capable of that. Rod, your uh, your former teammate at Texas and your teammate with the Lions, Sean Rogers. I was just looking at Sean yep. Rogers' profile. Mm-hmm. Sean Rogers was three twenty at the combine when he went to the combine, and he played at around three fifty. Exactly. And yeah. he was not only was he an every down player, but Rod, you were actually with him in Detroit in 04 when he was a second team All Pro. So yeah, he was man. When when Big Sean set his mind to it, he was among the best. D tackles in the league. He really was. Mm-hmm. Uh when he was in his prime, he really was. Yeah. He was legit. And he yeah, he kind of fits more the T T sweat profile, honestly. Mm-hmm. No yeah. doubt. Um so we're looking at the two defense. You brought him up earlier, Rod. Matt, I don't I don't know if you've got any anything you want to pull up on Jonathan Brooks, but the Jonathan Brooks case is really interesting to me because he's going to go to the combine. He's not going to be able to do anything, just interview and go through medicals, which are probably going to be big for him because you want to see how that knee's doing in the in the rehab process. But it's fascinating. I know the position's been devalued. I understand that. But for him to be the number one running back coming off of an ACL, I think that just shows you, one, how the position's been devalued, but two, it's not a great year for running backs and you feel bad for him. Hell, he might be a high second, maybe sneak his way into the first round if he was healthy. And I don't like going down that road. Cause I'm thinking, man, with a healthy Jonathan Brooks, does Texas win a national championship? Uh, maybe they at least get to Houston. I don't know, but man, John for Jonathan Brooks to still be, some people have him on the board as, as a second round guy, the first running back off the board says a whole hell of a lot about how the NFL looks at that skill set. 
Yeah, I mean, everything that I've seen still has him as the top running back on the board. And that's a mm -hmm. credit to his film and to really kind of what he accomplished last season. I think that, you know, if he interviews well, which I think he will, and the medical evaluations are going to be the biggest thing for him. I mean, mm -hmm. every team's going to want to, to tug at that injury and get their own kind of diagnosis of it. Um, I wonder if, a, you know, a team will – see him kind of as a give him a red shirt year essentially in the NFL if a team has that luxury to do that so I'm looking at teams that have that kind of luxury right who can have a luxury pick of a, a running back in the first two rounds and that bodes well for him because that's usually going to be a team that's good and yeah. they can afford to have Jonathan Brooks sit for a while and get healthy and then realize they got you know running back one value um, wherever they get him in the potentially even in, in the second round so I I mean, he was great last year, man. I, I yeah. really, it's it's crazy to think that we all expected and I expected, I was, that was the main one, a regression, a natural regression at the running back position because of the loss of Rojo and Bijan to NFL running backs. And the truth is, it was not that big of a regression based on the production yeah. of Jonathan Brooks. That, that, was, that, that was fascinating. I really... That was one of the most shocking. That was easily the most surprising storyline of the season. I mean, that guy forced a missed tackle on like thirty-four percent of his rushes. I mean, he was he was unbelievable last season. So yeah, and his numbers they really like. We always talked about it with small samples and certain players. Like we brought up Byron Murphy when he was a freshman. As I like, man, if this guy now can get you know the volume of snaps and just continue on this pace, it's going to be an elite player. And the sample we had with Jonathan Brooks was really small. But you know we we're like it's sort of funny when you look at Bijan and Rojo going in and. They're both behind Jonathan Brooks each of the last two years in yards after contact. Now, it was on 30 attempts and 21, and you know small samples and you know garbage time, you know, coming in at late in games. It isn't all exactly the same. But then when you go and see what he did this year, it was like his first two years receiving the ball. He was 1.46 yards per route run. What was he exactly last year? 1.46 yards per route run. Then he had in 21 and 22, it was 19 missed tackles forced on his 51 carries. Like, that's a really good rate. That's like 37%. Well, he was able to come in and go 63 on 187, which is like Rod just said, 34% last year, which isn't much of a drop-off. When you look at his yards per rush, he was like 6.6, 6.8 his first two years in those garbage time carries. Last year, 6.1. He's at 6.2. We pointed out last year when Bijan left early, Bijan broke Ricky's record like 6.2 was a number in your mind that was like, wow, I don't know how a running back can average that for his career at Texas. And now we've had back to back running backs in Bijan and Jonathan Brooks for their career average 6.2 yards per attempt. Now you have Jonathan Brooks on 238 uh, attempts, so he's not going to qualify the way Bijan was to be the all-time leading rusher on a per-attempt basis. But, I mean, it was 6.1 this year, barely any drop-offs. So it's just really cool when you see a guy that has that small sample size, but then when you move him up to, up to volume and he's able to continue to perform at that level and that's against heightened opponents, it's like in the NBA, it's when you see a bench guy go and can do it against starters. That's just a sign of a player that's 
continuing to develop and outperform his expectations. Like 140 elusive rating this past season is crazy. He had a 150 for a career here at Texas. Just numbers that you don't you can't expect. But the way that Texas is developing these guys, it's been pretty impressive. So it'll be fun to see how the guys work in the next couple of years. You know, you got to give you got to give the Tom Herman staff some credit. I know I like to dump on Tom Herman, but I'm gonna give that staff some credit. And really, it's it's Derek Chang in that group that was in the recruiting department at the time. But I think you see that they they were onto some things in terms of evaluations. And let's not pretend that. You know, I, I'm not going to pretend I didn't sit here and say in rec- certain recruiting classes that made that they made some good evaluations. But the three guys in this draft, and granted, Sark had Sark developed these guys. This the current yes. regime gets all the credit for it. But Jonathan Brooks, you guys know how many Power Five offers Jonathan Brooks had when he committed to Texas? Well, it was like two or something. Two. He had Texas Tech and Texas. The rest of his offers: Colorado State, Houston Christian, Louisiana, Texas State, and UTSA. Jonathan wow. Brooks was way off the radar, and they they targeted him early. You know, they they liked Tavondre Sweat really early. They made they I think Christian Jones either he was about to commit to SMU or they flipped him from SMU. But Christian Jones, you know, as CBS Ryan Wilson put out his top fifty big board, he had Christian Jones in the top forty. I think that's probably a little high, but Christian Jones, Rod, I know you heard the buzz about Christian Jones at the Senior Bowl oh, yeah. and what he yeah. was doing, but. I I will obviously the again the credit goes to Sark and the staff for for developing those guys, but I'll give that recruiting department under Tom Herman a shout out for them being early early on Brooks early on Sweat and coming around to to end up with Christian Jones. That's probably three top one hundred ish picks that 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 staff will have uh, at least they evaluated and recruited those guys. The current regime obviously though gets the the credit for developing them. No, that's a great point, bro. I, I'm with you on that. I, I didn't, I didn't realize that, but you're right. And yeah, I mean that's, and a lot of people at Texas don't want it. They didn't really want to see that. Sark says that they don't look at stars in recruiting, right? That they just recruit, you know, guys that are you know, kind of good for the culture and system. They're not necessarily going off the ratings of the players. And you could say Tom Herman and his staff didn't really either. Well, it's proof of it. Yeah. Yeah. And look at that power. I mean, if you look at those guys right there, I mean, with Brooks and with Sweat and Jones, they fit what Herman wanted to do, though, too. And, you know, that's where that a little bit of overlap happens, like where you have an idea that you want to be physical and have a power run game or be able to stop the run. And that's one thing that Sark also in a different way, maybe from one or when you look at the nuances, but also highly values. And I love that you brought up Christian Jones because it was a number that I brought up before the Washington game. But you you look overall, he was as elite as it gets when it comes to run blocking and being a zone blocker in zone schemes. He was sixth in the country amongst all tackles in zone blocking or run schemes. And that was with 375 run snaps, which is a really, really high amount of times to be out there on the field and being able to block within the zone scheme. He was at 81.4 was his zone blocking grade. He was the, also by far the best just overall run 
blocker on Texas. It was a 73.8 run grade, but to have the sixth best zone run blocking uh, grade in all of college football, that's a tool that a lot of teams are going to really value highly. And that's why like in certain, you know, listings, you'll see his name, even though I wouldn't necessarily agree with it, but what do I know? It's like, he's ahead of sweat. I saw in a couple of them, which is like Jeff said, moving up into like maybe the top 40, which is really impressive. If you want to get an idea of how smart Christian Jones is, uh, take a look at his offer list when he was coming out of high school. Cal, Virginia, SMU, Dartmouth, Syracuse, <laughs> Vanderbilt, Yale. Damn. Wow. They're not letting a lot of dummies into those schools. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. He's smart to come to Texas for the football aspect. But, yeah, that's about as good of a recruiting resume for colleges as you could want. And I, I'll go back. to He's coachable as hell, man. He's coachable. Oh, yeah, man. that's going to be so so translatable to the NFL, a smart, coachable lineman that can get out in space and move. I think, man, and I, I wrote this story uh, last week. I published over on the site, over at Horns 24-7, uh, but I, I kind of went back and looked at some of the quotes Christian Jones had like right around senior day. And it's amazing, you know, cause let's be honest, man, we didn't, that 2020 season, the COVID year was so weird. It was really tough to get a feel for anything that year. And the 21 season, let's be honest, man, he was not good. And, you know, he, after that, that game against Kansas, which actually weirdly enough was a game where PFF graded him as one of his highest grades of the year might've been his highest, but, you know, he gave up a strip sack in that game and, you know, he was getting nasty messages on social media. And, he's, you know, after that, he just started kind of, you know, you you either have one one of two responses. You either kind of move on and, uh, you know, try to get yourself out of that environment or you bear down and say, no, I'm going to work through it. And that's what he did. And he said he started telling himself in the mirror every morning, you're the best offensive tackle in the country. And he even admitted, he's like, look, when I first started saying it, I didn't believe it. But the more you tell yourself, it's. It's almost like the Costanza thing, right? It's not a lie if you believe it. So, you know, he he kept pumping himself up. And Christian Jones left Texas as, Rod, probably what you want your offensive lineman to be. Like, would you love Justin Blaylock or Leonard Davis, a guy that just mauls people? Yeah, but I'll, I'll take a Christian Jones six days a week and twice on Sunday, a guy that, man, I could just put him out of the position and I don't have to worry about it. He's just going to be, you know, he's going to handle his own and, he might not make a crushing block, but I know he'll do the job, and I don't have to worry about right tackle as long as he's out there. That's where you want your lineman to get. Yeah, I mean, you just look at his trajectory. He's just gotten better every year or so. Yeah. And he hasn't, you know, obviously been playing football in his frame that long. When you mm -hmm. actually think about it, just got this massive frame, uh, what, in the last, like, six to seven years yeah. uh, for him, and, and he's getting better every year. The projections would say, all right, the more he gets uh, used to his frame, and now he's starting to fill out as a grown man, and he's got a, a background as a guy with good footwork because of his soccer background that, man, this guy's gotten better every year. He's so coachable, and he's smart. You said it, highly intelligent. Um, why wouldn't he get better uh, with NFL coaching at the NFL level, having to focus strictly on football? Um, so I think that's 
That's the up, the upside is why everybody's excited about Christian Jones. What's and his man, upside? Has has he reached it? Because it doesn't seem like he has. Mm-mm. No, and when you look at, I mentioned just like his ability in the run blocking and his, especially in the zone run blocking. But when you go and look at just uh, allowed pressure, the percentage of pressures to Quinn that were allowed by position across the board at right tackle was as good as it gets. You had right tackle and left guard at just 11.8% of the allowed pressures for the entire team came in at right tackle. So that's really good when you are basically the safest spot on the line in pass protection, and then you grade out in top six in the country in your run-heavy zone scheme. You know, he at the Senior Bowl, before he even took a rep, he's 6'5", 318, hands are 10 and 3 eighths inches, arms are 34 and 7 eighths. So he's basically got 35-inch arms. An 83 and 7 eighths inch on the wingspan. Basically, basically got 35 inch arms and an 84 inch wingspan at 6'5, 318 with over 10 and with you know 10 and 3 8 inch hands. That is a massive human being. And yep. I, I I know people are sick of me saying it, but I'll say it again, man. I hadn't seen Christian Jones. I, I remember seeing him like in fall camp, his freshman year, his first year on campus. But I'll never forget, man, walking into the Superdome for Sugar Bowl practice when Texas was playing Georgia, and he had the uh it was the Isaiah Wilson jersey on the for the Georgia for the scout team. He was playing Isaiah Wilson for from Georgia, and I just remember looking and filling out that jersey. I'm like, dude, I'm like, that's exactly how you want an offensive tackle to look. And I'll be damned, man, as he's continued to fill out and, and he he's all the stuff as as an offensive tackle rod that you can't coach and you can't manufacture it. You either got it or you don't. Yep, agreed. I mean, that's and that's why Sark and I love the staff. I think. They figured it out late at like corner and 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 secondary, um, but there's certain things you have to recruit because you just can't coach them. Yeah, and that that's why he loves big humans, right? He's like, no, big humans, big humans, big humans. All right, because we can coach everything else. I can't coach that size. I need those guys to have that natural God-given girth. Oh no, it's line. I think now they're figuring out can't coach pass rush, can't coach coverage, certain thing speed. Right, starts big on. Oh, I need speed on the outside. Big humans on the inside. They figured out what they, you know, what they can't coach, and that's also a, as a coach, I think that's a humbling experience. That's about humility. Uh, you know, realizing like, no, no, I can't coach everything, but just give me those raw tools with you know the football foundation and then the football character, all that kind of stuff, which you also sometimes can't coach football character. Got to recruit it. Mm-hmm. All right. That's why they like going to certain programs and getting certain guys because they, you know, at certain football programs, they weed out bad football character. Yeah. So and they develop it better than others programs in, in high school football. So I think they figured that out. And that's that's part of it. And that's that's certainly part of it with Christian Jones, too. Yep. And those traits, like you said, Jeff, if he looked already filled out and then you're talking about it's hard to look filled out when you have a seven foot wingspan. That's insane. Like that's normally somebody that looks a little lanky or a little bit gawky when you're, say, seven inches longer than you are tall. But to be filled out with that type of length, that's impressive. I was just looking. uh, 
Hold on, I was trying to find Kevin Durant's wingspan in inches. Oh my god, it's like yeah. seven ten or seven ten, I believe. Yeah, Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant's wingspan in inches is eighty eight. Uh, basically, uh, almost an eighty nine inch wingspan. Christian Christian Jones is massive at almost eighty four. Kevin Durant's is another four inches. Yeah, that's just that's wild. But that gives you an idea of Christian Jones' wingspan. Just a horrible comparison by me, but it just I don't know. For me, it gives me a frame of reference on what I'm looking at. Um, Rod, I'm I'm glad you brought up Sark and the staff in terms of identifying what they can't coach because Sark got the contract extension, and honestly, like it's look if if whether they need to you know in two years rip up this extension and do a new one because Sark's outperformed it, or you know. If all hell breaks loose and, I don't know, you're looking for a coach, I certainly hope not. Either way, Chris Del Conte is not going to pass me a hat like the collection plate at church and ask me to put in a 20. Like, they'll have the money for it. So it's just basically monopoly money anyway. Uh, and and you're paying your coach. What the market says right now, you have to pay a coach if you feel you've got a national ca- national championship caliber coach. It's no different than NFL quarterbacks. Well, is it worth it? Well, this is what the market says you got to pay, so you need to pay it. My big thing from that is with Jeff Banks – Kyle Flood and PK getting extensions and getting raises, it drives drives home the point of how Sark knocked it out of the freaking park with his initial staff. And like I went back and looked at some initial staffs. You know, Rod, you played for that initial staff that Mac had. That was a good staff. Uh, and you had some guys, you know, Mike Tollison, Greg Davis. They were there was Mac for a long time. And and even some of the replacements Mac had to hire, whether it was, you know. Oscar Giles or, or Bobby Kennedy, some of the replacements for a Daryl Drake or a Hardy McCrary lasted with Mac for a very, very long time. A Bruce Chambers was there all the way to the end. So Mac had a good staff. I went back and looked at like Charlie's first staff. You guys realize that by the time Charlie Strong, I, I know we talked about this in the moment, by the time Charlie Strong got to the end of year two, before year three started, he had fired or at one Tommy Robinson had moved on every offensive hire from his initial staff was gone by the time he started year three. That's crazy. Yeah. 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 And we were yelling for Watson even quicker than that. That's not good. That's not good. And then not good at all. You know, Tom, Tom Herman's staff. I mean, he had guys that he probably should have moved on from that first year. Like you demoted Derek Wareheim from offensive lines coach to tight ends coach. You know, you 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 move Corby Meekins to receivers to help Drew Marringer. You know, you we weren't sure about the Tim Beck situation. And Tim Beck's a good dude, but you know, I wouldn't call Tim Beck a great offensive coordinator. And we we said that at the time. Uh, you know, the defensive hires a, a lot of them worked out, but you know, Tom Herman of that initial staff, by the time he got to year four, he only had two guys left from that initial staff. That was Stan Drayton and Oscar Giles. That was it. He had either fired or whatever happened to everybody else. And we had been yelling about that continuity and needing continuity so bad. Go ahead. No. And, and, and Sark got it with, you know, some guys that he brought from Bama, some guys that he wanted to hire. Like we say, you know, the Andre Coleman thing, he corrected that rod. You were on top of that. And he corrected that. And, you know, to shard choice at running backs coach for Stan Drayton has been a hell of a hire. He's gotten a really good hire. With Chris Jackson, we talked about a lot of this stuff when uh, the Kenny Baker and Johnny Nansen hires were made official. But man, it just it just goes to show you, man, it, when when somebody doesn't succeed as a blue blood at a blue blood initial staff, it, it might not be the reason, 
But more often than not, you can go back and look at it, and they made a lot of mistakes on that initial staff. I agree with you. And it's and, and oftentimes it's about what your vision is for the program, right? If that's yeah. a big part of it. And do you have the connections um with it, you know, in terms of the coaching circles, because it's a good old it's a good old boys network. Do you have yeah. the connection with other coaches that you you have uh that clout that you can bring them on and they trust you and they trust your vision as a coach? Cause you know, that's what I mean, Sark's his vision for the program. I mean, he was, he's been clear about it and, you know, he's, he's been, I think pretty upfront and candid about what he sees for the program. And I think he sells that vision, not only to the players, but to the coaches too. And that's pretty obvious. Yep. And that network that Sark's been able to build over the years and having so many close friends and that are also coaches that can send those fingerlings out to where like if you've worked with somebody in any field, like you sort of get to know a person and how they work and if necessarily they're going to be able to fit personality wise with other people. And that's some, sort of something with this staff that seemed to be able to get those like-minded individuals. And he's able to fit them together because he's had a wide array of spots and he's been around coaches that have say coaching families within them. And you talk about the Kiffins or the Shanahan's or then having, you know, the previous coaches with Saban and Carol and just like, there's just so many connections there and, when you prove your worth to those people and they understand how you work and they have a good idea of how you fit or at least trust you whenever you come to them, that you're going to reciprocate those things for them whenever they need those opinions or get those recommendations. Rod, are you going to be able to keep your pants on this draft season? Cause I know, <laughs> I know how much this stuff excites you on, on bad years. And this is a really good year. It's a great year, man. It really is. Like I said, it's, I think in the first two rounds, I mean, Texas could end up having like five, six guys take in the first two rounds. Murphy, A.D. Mitchell, X-Men, J.T. Sanders, Jay Brooks, I think is going to be another one, Tavondre Sweat. I mean, that's like six guys that are going to be drafted in the first two rounds for Texas. Yeah. In my yeah. opinion. And Jalen Ford, then you got guys like Jalen Ford and Christian Jones. And, you know, I mean, like that's – it's just been a while since you can watch the entire draft. Yeah as a Longhorn fan and you got to watch it to the end. Cause there's a good chance, you know, when your guys might get drafted in Jordan Whittington or Ryan Watts, something like that. Yeah. Right. Sleepers like that too. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like it's, it's fun, man. It really is. Like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty giddy about the, the whole process this year. Um, and I've been, I've been, I'm a mock slut, man. I've been on every damn mock draft <laughs> that anybody, any jabroni puts out your boys get suckered into clicking on it. Um, cause I'm just so excited about for these guys, man. I'm excited for them and I'm excited for Texas football now to, to start like this as the annual, you know, kind of tradition for Longhorn fans once again, to follow their favorite players to the league. Yep, it become appointment viewing again. I remember exactly. those 2000s back whenever you were around right in those classes when you had, and because back then Texas had a hell of a run of first round picks and top five picks and guys going just from 2000 to like, say, 2007. When you look at the top, it was more top heavy. And then you started to see more volume as Mac stacked up classes. And that's sort of what Texas is getting, just a beer bong of it right here from Sark's first class because it's going to be appointment viewing this first season. Rada, as we as we make our way out of here, I'm just going to say uh, that is the second thing, maybe the second greatest thing I've ever heard a co-host of mine refer to themselves as. 
you calling yourself a mock slut. The only thing that surpasses it <laughs> is one time on the air, Craig and I were talking about gravy, and I asked Craig, well, what do you, you <laughs> brown gravy or, or you know, cream gravy? Craig goes, I'm a gravy, gravy whore. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I was listening to that, and I think I texted you gravy whore. It was great. Like, all right. No, I think you guys made a promo out of that because I actually think I remember hearing it. On the oh, promo. we did. We did. It was great. Yeah. Like, that wow, is just, awesome. Just got the voice of the Longhorns to say on the air that he's a gravy whore. All right. He's a gravy whore. Hey, you know what? I feel him on that, man. Hey, gravy makes everything better. Gravy Agreed. Better, if someone's making gravy, I'm going to be pouring it on till it's gone. Exactly. Brown, <laughs> brown gravy, cream gravy, the, the uh, I don't know, the liquid gravy that you uh, make. Jalapeno gravy. The, oh, man. It's all good. Gravy. Mushroom <laughs> gravy. Give it to me. It's a gravy. Give it to me, man. Well, I haven't had to go full circle, though, Jeff. You did say things that Rod hates, though, and we're getting very close to white condiments. White condiments, yes. Yeah, that's all right. I, I'm not. That's a gravy the racist. one thing. That's the one thing he doesn't like that I know of. True. That is true. That's true. Good point. All right. All right. Well, that's a good, as good a place as any to end it. Let's go ahead and wrap it up, and we'll be back to do it again next week. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod, appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at 24-7 Sports, the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network, and the Horns 24-7 Podcast Feed, where you can get Longhorn Blitz each and every week. Just search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247, no dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button whenever the feed pops up. You get it every Wednesday morning when it drops. And thanks to Matt, you get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. For the Horns 24-7 family, for the Longhorn Blitz family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. 